This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode contains conversation about sexual abuse and pedophilia. Please feel free to take care of yourself as needed. I started wearing only bodycon dresses to church. I would wear those because those really kind of show up the shape. And I would see the eyes of, you know, nobody would say anything, right? Because my husband had taught them, like, you don't mess with her. But I always saw the looks. I didn't care. Welcome to Sanctified. Join this congregation weekly where hot girls and holiness align. Where nothing is taboo and revelation is more than the Bible's last book. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend, and a lover. And I'm learning to live this life without fear or shame in abundance, the way God intended. And I'm LaVon Briggs. I'm a Queens girl, a joy chaser. I'm a daughter of the church and the diaspora. And I'm a Black woman spiritual leader who's no longer at war with her body. You ready, LaVon? I'm ready, sis. Okay, LaVon. Hey, girl. (laughs) How you doing? Actually, really, really great. Like, the book is coming out soon. I'm back in the gym. You know, I'm taking care of my body. My diet feels right. You know, I'm looking at my body in a new way and celebrating her, all of its glory. You feel me? See, and so that hasn't always been the case, it sounds like. What has been the journey for you to loving your body? The way I was 10 years old, standing in my grandmother's bathroom, about to take a shower and looked at my profile in the mirror, was like, ew, my butt is so big. And I was like, I hate it. 10 years old, DJ. Man. Isn't that so young? (laughs) And now, 30 years later, I'm doing squats to make my booty plumper, okay? (laughs) Like, I love taking pictures in the mirror and like, you know how your girl hypes you up and takes some pictures. You turn around and you look back at it. Like, it feels good to love and celebrate all of my body now. Mm. You know? I love that. What about you? How has your journey been to loving your body? It has been a journey. And I did this, I think, twice. And I said, the second time I did it, I said, ooh, no more. Mm. There were two points in my adult life where... I looked at pictures prior to the age I was and was like, I wasn't even that big back then. Why did I think I was fat? I should have been wearing this, this, and this. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want to miss these moments. And the second time I did that, I was like, this is what we're not going to do. We are going to love the skin that we're in. And I think that second time was shortly after I had my baby. 
Okay. And you know, these bodies go through a mega change because you are creating a whole entire human that is growing and growing. And so your body changes drastically. Mm -hmm. And Instead of looking at the pictures thinking, I got to get this back, I said, I'm just going to figure out who she is and I'm going to love her. And that has led me to just fully enjoying everything about my body and who I am and not feeling shamed at all. So it's been a journey because what? I gave birth at 38. Come on, somebody. The female body is amazing. And that's why I'm so glad that we're talking about this topic. Today's episode is about pins and prayer cloths or how clothing and Black female bodies are policed inside and outside of many Black churches. We're talking about what has caused us to question our bodies and the love of our bodies and honestly, what role the church played in us questioning our bodies and our love of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And this episode ties into our first episode of Sanctified about purity culture and where we're going a bit deeper today. So DJ, when do you remember your body first being policed? As I know to understand it now, I was younger. I was in church. Mm -hmm. And as you said, you know, the first episode, you know, in purity culture, we talked about what was defined as okay and not okay uh, as young women in church. Right. For me, I had to be clothed. My chest couldn't show. And I was a bit heavier in the chest, younger. Like I developed much younger than most. And so like how old? Oh, I was probably definitely maybe sixth grade. Wow. And I was wearing a I was asking my mama <laughs> when I heard about training bras. I heard the little white girls at school talking about training bras. <laughs> and I asked my mama about it. She was like, oh, you way past that. <laughs> I'm screaming. So then going to church, it was always I couldn't have any cleavage. You got to cover all this up. And you got to have something that goes to your knees or longer. Or longer. You got to cover that up. And you definitely couldn't wear nothing sleeveless. And so that carried over into life at school, which carried over into going to undergrad and then going to grad school. It just, it made me feel like I needed to cover this up because it wasn't good. Mm. What was your first meeting of the policing of the body child in the church when I was running around with the holiness Pentecostal folks. And I realized that there were lap cloths, there were sheets, towels, coats. People would grab anything that was nearby (laughs) to cover me up. I didn't ask for this. You looked at my body and said, Oh, you need to cover them shoulders. You need to cover them legs. And I'm tall. I'm 5'10". I have a 33 inch inseam. I'm nothing but leg. Yeah. Just like we talked about in the purity culture episode, I learned, Oh, I got to cover up. So I got to have a denim skirt down to the floor. And that's what's going to make me quote unquote holy. Girl, and even in that, you can still have on your denim skirt that's down to the floor. But if you jump in too much and these is pumping, somebody coming to wrap you up. Like a bib, like you about to eat some crab legs. (laughs) But, you know, I'm making jokes. But the reality is all of these stopgap measures do more damage to the women and girls. We're told that they're meant to protect. And that's why we know pins and prayer cloths are not protection. I think the myth that hiding our bodies is going to protect us from harm doers is wild. What does my body have to do with you deciding you're going to do some wrong today? Right. Uh, it's just it's always going to be some bad people in the world. It's always going to be some bad people in the world ready to do some harm. And women and girls 
are usually at the forefront of of receiving that. And so what we have on is not going to stop somebody from deciding to do something wrong. And the second myth and misconception that I want to bust is that children can seduce adults. First of all, (laughs) adults are always, always the person in power, right? It's a power dynamic and adults are supposed to protect children, not harm children. And children's brains aren't fully formed yet. So the idea that they are plotting (laughs) and scheming to seduce an adult is asinine. Adults have the advantage always and adults are supposed to protect children. Children cannot seduce adults because the only way to do that is to sexualize a child. And that is immoral. Children cannot seduce adults. No. And adults are always the ones that have to make the right choice. And get help if you need help making the right choice, child. Yeah. And I think another myth that we can bust is the fact that men are simply incapable of controlling their sexual desires. I roll emoji. (laughs) How? How are you incapable of controlling this desire for a young person? We all have to make choices and then we live with those choices that we make. You are not incapable. Once you become an adult, Mm -hmm. you have to put away childish things. Yeah. I think that goes with adults are always the ones that are in control. And when you decide you don't want to be in control, then you are doing something that is wrong. It is not up to a child. If you are struggling with something, you need to go to somebody who can help you, a therapist, a trusted confidant. But harming children is never, never okay. And the fact of the matter is, you know, you and I are Black women. We know the stories, right? Like sisters come to us in confidence, all the women's retreats we don't been to all the women's conferences. But statistics show, according to several outlets, that this is something that we need to be talking about in our community. So Black Women's Blueprint is a sociological organization based in Brooklyn, New York, and they've been doing an ongoing study since 2011. And they have found that at least 70, 70, 70% of all Black girls are abused before they turn 18 years old. So before we can vote, Seven out of 10 of us are harmed. Mm. Also, according to the American Psychological Association, for every Black woman who reports assault, 15 Black women do not report. So we have a lot of harm going unreported in our community. And the fact that we don't feel like we can report, I think, goes back to feeling shame about choices that we maybe made or didn't make or feeling like if this happened, it might be my fault. Yeah. That digs deeper. And also another statistic, according to the Institute for Women's Policy Research, Black women also experience significantly higher rates of psychological abuse, which includes humiliation, insults, name calling and coercive control than do women overall. So that's Black women. The thing is, when we go through this and we want to share it in church, when they say, oh, do you have any prayer requests? There are a lot of us who want this to be a prayer request. There are a lot of us who want to report. But if we report, we fear that we won't be believed. Right. And are we going to be supported? And that's just a terrible position to be in, because honestly, what we need to do in redefining and expanding and creating safe space for women includes. Right. But it's not limited to. This notion of the abuse, the women and the girls, that they should be protected 
instead of the harm doers being protected. Like in our culture, we protect the perpetrators and we blame the victims and shame the victims. But here are some ways that I want us to shift that. So one, normalize addressing harm doers in the same ways and tone that women are rebuked for wearing form-fitting clothing. So the same energy that you got for us when we were our body cons, <laughs> I need you to have that same energy for Deacon Joe, okay? Who be giving unholy hugs during offering. <laughs> mm -hmm. I also think that systemically, all church ministries should do background checks on volunteers, and those volunteers should be trained on child abuse prevention and awareness as well. So that if they notice something, they say something and we have a protocol in place, right, to protect this child. Activating child abuse prevention trainings in churches, I feel like that is a ministry. Teaching congregants the protocol for reporting abuse and completing background checks on clergy and church employees. <laughs> Absolutely. That should be a given. We should be past that. Anybody who is coming into your church to serve, to minister, to volunteer and watch. You'd be surprised. Child. You need to know where they're coming from. You need to know where they've been. I heard about this thing called Code Adam from this pastor that I really love to listen to, Pastor Julian Lowe at Oasis Church here in California. Back in the 1980s, this young boy, Adam, went missing in the grocery store and his mom was looking for him, but she couldn't find him in time. The person that took him got away with him. Eventually, when they found him, uh, he was no longer alive. And so what they instituted after that was called a code Adam. The moment you are in a store and you cannot find your child, you tell somebody who works there and they get on the loudspeaker. They shut everything down. They lock every door until they find that child. And the greater thing, which was what the pastor was bringing home, was that they get on the loudspeaker and they don't yell. They don't say, get out here. Your mama looking for you. You're going to be in trouble. Like they get on with a tone that says, hey, we love you. We are searching for you. Where are you? Oh, we can't wait to put our arms around you. Just come out. You're okay. You're not in trouble. And he was likening that to God. Like he's letting us know. I don't care what you did. I don't care. You know, if you knock something over in the aisle and, and now you're trying to hide because it's spilled. No, 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 no. I love you. Right. I cannot wait to see you not in trouble. And so we have to make sure we are instituting things in a way that lets these children know God loves you above all else. You know, we're instituting a pen and a prayer cloth. Mm. And you can't wear no body con, yeah. but we're not instituting God loves you. We are going to search high and low for you. I don't care where you, we are not letting anybody get away with you. Come on. You're too precious. Yes. The scripture talks about how Jesus left the 99 sheep to go after the one. The one is precious. And I love that quote, Adam DJ, because that's really practical. Like in crisis, I can be a little loopy, right? So it helps to have something grounding, something I can do in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, and not feel powerless because that also, right, puts attention on the person who's trying to take that child. Like we looking for you too. Mm -hmm. And harm doers need to be called out. And when they're called out, harm doers need a space to heal and deal with the trauma they've caused as well as whatever trauma they may have endured. You know, yes, I have to say, I agree. I, the, something in me, I think shifted after having a baby and 
I think everybody needs a safe space that I hear you. I recognize that you need it because you've you've gone through things. You've probably endured things yourself that has created this sort of psyche and you need help. Also, and restorative justice is not our ministry. So shout out to everybody who is doing restorative justice work. Try Jesus. Don't try me. (laughs) I throw hands because we throw hate. No. okay. God bless you. Because children have to be seen. They must be seen as children and not through the eyes of some adults trauma or their misinformed upbringing. They have to be seen through the lens of children. They are children. And if you see a child, you know, come into this world and as they continue to grow and how everything is new to them, that's how they should be seen. Everything is new to them. They start putting their tongue on stuff, the, the nastiest stuff. I see my son putting his tongue on the wall. Why? What are you doing? Want to taste it? <laughs> it? But it's new. But they should be seen as just children. That's what they are trying to learn the world, embrace the things around them. That's it. Not through the eyes or gaze of anything other than that. Exactly. And I think that's us as healthy people, right, who love children and are safe around children. But there are some folks who I don't understand it because that's not me, but they've got this psyche thing going on. And the fact of the matter is they're in our churches, they're in our supermarkets, right? They're in our schools, they're in the world. And so we have to have these conversations. And that's why I'm so grateful that today's testifier is going to help us work through these very tender, but relevant topics. Mm -hmm. Today's testifier is Dr. Tamura Lomax. Dr. Lomax is a professor of religious studies at Michigan State University, founder of The Feminist Wire, author of Jezebel Unhinged, Loosing the Black Female Body in Religion and Culture, and one of the foremost voices speaking up and out for Black women inside and outside of the Black church. She is also my soror. So let's hear now from Dr. Lomax. Here's her testimony. My name is Dr. Tamora Lomax, and this is my testimony. The experiences that started me on the path toward being a scholar of religion really go back to my childhood and being a child of the church, but also a love of hip hop music and being confused about how I was treated at church. Even though I was the child of the pastor, there were still some ways in which I as a black girl was being read that was very similar to hip hop music. We're called bitches and hoes and music and we're sexualized in particular kinds of ways, but I was experiencing Experiencing that same kind of sexualization in the church as a young girl. And so when I got to seminary, I took a course called Sexuality in the Black Church and a light bulb came on because what it was really about was a reading of Black women and girls' bodies. And it wasn't just in the church. It was when I walked to the store. It was when I was in the park with my friends. I was being basically read as this girl who deserved violence. I must have done something. That's the same language we use for Black Black girls who are right. You must have done something to deserve it. And I was trying to understand why is this happening, period, but why is it especially happening in the Black church? I'm really sad to even say this because there were multiple incidences, but the one that I talk about in in my book, Jezebel Unhinged, is when I'm 11 years old. It's altar call and the whole church is asked to come forward. And so I come forward with everyone else. And I remember this day so well because I was so proud to be able to fit my mother's dress. I'm 11 years old with a quote unquote kind of 
brownish woman's body. And it was this long black dress with a fishtail and it was cotton, so it was fitted. And it had a red sash. And there was a man who was a leader in the church who my parents stayed very close friends with for years after this. And he was overweight, so he could not get up for altar call. He had to always sit. And he told my parents at the church that he could not focus during the altar call because he was overtaken by my butt. It had aroused him. And my parents, their response, unfortunately, was to chastise me. You can't wear that dress anymore. You have to wear bigger clothes because you cannot be out here tempting grown men. At the time, I felt like, well, I guess they're right. No, their response was wrong. His gaze was wrong. My body was not wrong. But unfortunately, for years, I took to hiding my body and wearing big clothes and pushing my butt in so that it didn't protrude and not showing cleavage and not wearing swimsuits for a variety of reasons. But one was to not bring shame to my family and particularly my father, who's the pastor, but also to not disrespect myself. And so I have an interesting relationship with the Black church. Yes, I still go to church, but I go in my own way. I show up in my own way. I show up when I actually want to be there. And I dress the way I want to dress. I wear whatever I want to wear. If I want to show thigh, I'm showing thigh. If I want to show cleavage or silhouette, I'm showing all of that. My name is Dr. Tamora Lomax, and that is my testimony. Don't go away. We're about to fellowship next. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. All right, all right, all right. Dr. Lomax is in the house. Welcome to Sanctify. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We are so happy to have you. Yes. Now, Dr. Lomax, you mentioned in your testimony that you now show up at church how, when, and if you want to. It's the if for me. So (laughs) what was the work you had to do to get that free? Oh, gosh. So I'm a baby of the church. I mean, like, Literally, not just born and raised, but, and not just a PK, but my dad is one of the first Black seminary professors on his very conservative campus. So when I say I am born and raised, nobody's more born and raised than me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I grew up in a very conservative household where, you know, you had to be at church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There was always something. And I remember watching my mom, who I love dearly, take this on and being this pastor's wife and what that meant to her. And it meant basically what I saw as a two for one. I know she loves this, I think, but I saw it as a two for one. Basically you hire him, you pay him. And then she shows up, she dresses like you. She is at everything that you're at. You know, if you got on black with red, she got on black with red. And so I said, you know, Mm. love my parents to death. But it's like, I think I said early on, I'm not doing that. 
you know, I'm not, first of all, I'm not marrying a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was what I said at first. And, um, but I got engaged to a young man who was a student at Morehouse while I was at Clark. And he said he was going into business. I think it was the day before our wedding. He's like, I had this dream, Ephesians 4. And I, and I knew the scripture because, you know, I had to learn it as a child. And uh, I was like, no, mm-mm. And so he was called, right? But I was ready. But I was like, but we're not doing this the way that I was raised to do it. I think from the beginning, he understood that I didn't sign up for that. He understood that I did not want that. I mean, I wrote it in my diary. I will not marry a pastor. My dad was always traveling and I didn't like that. I didn't like all the church people always in our house and in our business. So I didn't like that. So I was like, I'm never doing this. So I've always kind of been like, I'm going to look the way I want to. I'm not going to ever look like a pastor's wife. Hello. When I got to the point of, but I'm also going to show up when I want to, I think that was more when I was in my PhD program. It was first, it was, you know, I'm busy. I'm working on my dissertation. I'm called just like you are, but to a different community in a different way. And um, I'm a bit more ratchet and, um, you know, we're both good with that. And so like we're free in that. But it was probably maybe two years ago that I was like, babe, don't give him an excuse why I'm not there. Just say I'm not there. I am not sick. I am just not there that I don't want to come this week. So I think last week was my first time coming back. Well, I we did like a love conversation, black love conversation. What does it mean to be married to a black feminist? Um, we talked about all of that and raising kids, you know, with a black feminist and someone who is, you know, we're both type A. So what does that look like? Who can be married to this type A black feminist? I came back for that, but that was like the first time in like six months. Wow. You know, I love being in church. I love the church, but honestly, Sundays are great writing days. And sometimes I don't want to be there. I just want to be, you know, at home. Sometimes I just want to walk on that day. And so it took both of us though. It took my husband really respecting who I am who I've always been in my resistance. And so we didn't make our guys go. We have two sons. We didn't make them go to church either. We do not make them because I, I was raised in a different kind of setting where you had to be there. So it's been a process, but it's like something I think I've been working on. It sounds like you centered your pleasure and your joy and just had everything else line up with that. I love that. Thank you so much. I love the fact that don't give an excuse. I'm just not there. I don't need an excuse. I, that's a whole different level of freedom. I aspire to that. We took grown for that. <laughs> also in your testimony, you mentioned the connection between how black women are discussed in hip hop culture and how we're talked about in the black church. What progress have you seen, if any, in that area? I, I, every time I feel like we're going forward, I feel like we're also, you know, going back and I see us going back with the critiques of like Beyonce and Meg and the joy that um, black men in particular took at her, the violence against her. Like there was a literally a joy. Honestly, it takes me back to Jezebel and this notion of strong women need to be taken down and viciously and violently for them to know their place. They need to know their place. And all of that goes back to, you know, patriarchy. And so I don't see patriarchy going anywhere, unfortunately. You know, I write this in my books. Like, I feel like we can fight against it. We can lessen it. We can push against it. But I don't see it, like, leaving us. As I see it being um, a part of our culture. But I also see these young girls that are being raised up today, you know, there are many of them who are saying, no, 
But then there are also those who are like, but pick me, pick me. I'm okay with it. You know, so that's a struggle. So it's like every time we move forward a bit, we also move backwards at the same time. And so you see, I'll think about Beyonce in particular. She's a great example because she was not initially comfortable with her sexuality, right? Her sexual identity. That's why she had to create Sasha Fierce. Like the only time she could be free was when she was performing as someone else, right? Then she gets married and she was like, now it's okay. And so I always find that interesting that she had to be married to be free. And I'm like, right, right. But I see her now and I see her saying, yeah, I love him, but don't get it twisted, right? Like, yes, I'm married, but I'm not that little girl. So she's, we see her evolving. And so, and I see it in hip hop too, where there is this evolution. We see it with Meg. There's this evolution and this embrace, but every time we see the embrace and we see the move forward, we see this very, very strong push backwards. And I think it's always going to be that give and take. And this is what I write about. How do we navigate the very fine line between being sexual and being sexualized? And sometimes, because in our hip hop music, when we're being sexualized or when it's that fine dude that we're being sexualized, we kind of like it. Like, how do we navigate when it is absolutely not okay? And then when we are like, but I do kind of like it. Like, that's that's the hard part. You know, Dr. Lomax, what that reminds me of with Beyonce and Meg, Beyonce is a year older than me. And I feel like something happens when you turn 40. Like, it's just, <laughs> it just unlocks something. So I feel like I'm gonna watch Meg, right, for the next decade and see what happens. Being 40 and being grown, I'm a grown woman. Um, can you briefly describe your red lip radicalism and the lecture you created that sprung from it, which pushes back against Black church sexual politics. So when I was growing up, we couldn't wear red lipstick, not red nail polish, not red clothing. Bottom is tight, then top is loose. Like something, you cannot do the whole body, right? I'll fit at anything. So that was definitely like something that the Black church taught and supported. And then I was also taught to be ashamed of my body though. And that was, that didn't happen. That wasn't the Black church. That was white supremacy. That was, you know, to be ashamed of the shape. So all of this is in my head. And it was Joan Morgan. Joan Morgan black, is a Black feminist. She is founding mother of hip-hop feminism. And she, I got so free reading her work. Um, this was probably around 2005 I was introduced to her work. When chicken heads come home to roost. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'd never read anything like it. And I love Joan to death. I mean, like, I idolized her because she had this sense of freedom and that I... Even in my adult life, even after 40, I don't think I really had. Reading that, you know, she has the cheekbones, this chiseled cheekbones, and she had this red lip, and I saw a picture of her. And I was like, that's the kind of Black feminist I want to be. She's not hiding anything. She had her big glasses, her shade. I was like, oh, okay. So she's coming in the room larger than life. That's the kind of Black feminist I want to be because we're taught, particularly in academia as Black women, to tone it down. And I was told many times in academia by Black faculty, tone it down, tone it down. And I was like, I want to turn up. I went to HBCU. We turn up. And they're like, no, tone it down. That's not scholarly. And I was like, no, I want to be like Joan. Joan with the red lip. Yeah. So I started wearing the red lip about 2007 and I created a lecture about the color red and I would teach it when we got to Virginia. And my students are so funny. Like, I remember. Mm-hmm. And they would ask me, why do you always have a red lip? What about another color? And so for, I think maybe two years, I only wore 
a red lip. Wow. And it was in defiance of culture. It was in defiance of all of the Black women who told me I couldn't wear it because they were told they couldn't wear it and they didn't believe they could wear it. And so I began wearing that. But then also to church when Jezebel was about to drop, I started wearing only bodycon dresses to church. And they are red. And I still have, it's like a closet, like this whole section. And it's like maybe 10 body, red bodycon dresses. So, right. And, and I always wore the ones that came. I love midi lengths. And so I would wear those because those really kind of show up the shape. So I would wear those red midis skin tight. And I would see the eyes of, you know, nobody would say anything. Right. Because my husband had taught them like, you don't mess with her. But I always saw the looks. I didn't care. You know, I had gone through you know, these lectures and teaching my students to be free and to wear what they felt comfortable in, what made them feel beautiful, what made them feel radical, that they could push back against the beauty industry, that we don't have to, you know, uphold the mythologies about our own sexuality being bad. Our sexuality isn't being bad. The color red isn't inherently bad, right? And so detach that from this whole devil notion and all of that. And so I've taught them, so why can't I? I love that, Dr. Lomax. And I also love that you mentioned your husband, right? Coming in and saying, ah, 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 not my wife. Chill out, right? So how has being a Black feminist influenced the men in your life? Incredibly. I mean, and down to my brother. I mean, I see his politics with his wife and with us. He doesn't call himself a feminist, but I see how, you know, we can discuss Pussy Valley, like we can discuss that. And he, there's no trans antagonist. There's none of that, right? Now I will say it was struggle with my father. My father is Southern Baptist pastor, but he's never, ever going to be all the way left. A little over the center. I mean, he's not right. Okay, we'll take it. Progress. But I would say with my husband, I think he saw Black feminist politics first in his own parents. They probably wouldn't have called themselves Black feminists back then or having Black feminist politics. But I mean, his mom, you know, who was, if you think of a definition of a homemaker, I mean, she made the clothes, she cooked, I mean, like everything for a large family. She up and got her uh, master's and, and a job at Cornell across the country, left, like left when he was in high school. Like my mom would never do that. And so that made him ready for someone like me. I didn't, I didn't come into feminism on my own. And I, my husband pushed me into feminism. I, I, I initially tried to be a homemaker. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And he was like, I don't want you doing that. <laughs> I didn't marry you to be trying to fill this role. That was years ago. But it was my husband who was like, no, you don't need to cook for me. You don't need to clean for me. We'll hire people to do all of that. Like, we, no, I don't want you to, or I'll do it. It sounds like what he saw as a kid affected him. Yeah. It's a blessing for your spouse to be able to see your future, even sometimes when you can't. Because sometimes it gets a little blurry for you. But to have someone on your side that's like, no, 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 you're greater. No, no, no. There's more. Oh, when I couldn't see some things, he has envisioned many parts of my life. He's like, babe, no, just keep pushing. I see this. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick up here because you got to finish the book because I see he saw things. I'm like, no, it's impossible. He's like, no, I see it. He still does. Oh, Dr. Lomax, that's a blessing. And that's sexy. It is. (laughs) (laughs) And, And a type A personality. Like he's, I mean, having that strong personality is still like, I, I love my wife, Black feminist. Like he enjoys that. And so we've taught our sons Black feminist politics. So I love that you are teaching your boys that. 
I want to know, given your childhood and all that you've experienced, the good and the bad, and how long it took you to find that red lip and that body con and to be okay and love who you are, how does that inform how you show up for some of these young Black women now? That love part, I think I'm just getting there. So like, even though it's been like a journey and I've been like open and trying to get there and fighting to get there, like just like truly like love, love. I'm just getting there and I'm, you know, headed towards 50 and my nieces, when I tell you they give me life, I mean, yes, my students and yes, but my nieces, my nieces, love my nephews. Okay. But my nieces, like I see these budding baby black feminists. And when I tell you that they make me celebrate, cry, dance, all that, (laughs) I just feel like my role is to pour into them Alongside of their mothers, their amazing mothers, my role is to pour into them and to remind them every step of the way. Like, yes, I do it for the world. I do it outside, but my nieces are up close and personal. And like, I see them being, you know, so comfortable in their skin and who they are and their identity and their chocolateness, their brownness and their their kinky hairness. I mean, like in ways that I, I just wasn't at their age. And so there is this very strong sense of, affirming yourself, loving yourself. There's a very strong sense. And their mothers, I think they're mothers, but their mothers always say, but we saw you, you paved the way. And so I accept that. That's hard to accept. I'm like, no, you're amazing. They're like, but we had to see you. We saw your transition. So I see them teaching my nieces. And to me, that's life right there. They're not going to have the baggage that we had. Dr. Lomax, you are life beloved. Yeah. Thank you for bringing your life here. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. Oh, a huge thank you to Dr. Lomax. We are going to take a short break, but coming up next, it's offering time. Now, hold on, y'all. Before we get to the offering, we got some church announcements. We are so very grateful for all the love you've been showing Sanctified. It is affirming and we feel it. And we want to continue to build and welcome more of you into the Sanctified community. So we need you to do a couple things, okay? Number one, please tap the follow button so you are notified of everything we do over here at Sanctified. Numero dos, don't forget to rate us on the Spotify app. Tap the star and give us five of them things, child. And tap that bell so you are notified as soon as a new episode is released. All right, all hearts and minds are clear. That's it for our church announcements. Let's get into the offering. What an incredible conversation. I am just so grateful for offering. You know, we do offering a little differently here at Sanctified Child. Y'all can push your purse away because we are bringing the offering to you. DJ, what's your offering for today? Today was rich. Today was full. Dr. Lomax was absolutely amazing. And I love her sincerity and honesty. Yes, she is a baddie for sure. (laughs) I think the biggest thing for me today was the pins and the prayer cloths, the body policing has brought so much shame to young women And it has taken a lot of us that have gone through it a long time to learn how beautiful and incredible we are. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, I would just like to offer nothing you put on your body changes the beauty that you possess. You should see yourself 
in your own beautiful light. You don't compare yourself to anybody else, but I would encourage you to look at yourself, really take moments during the day in the mirror to look at yourself, to see what God has created, to see the beauty so that nobody else, whether at church, whether at school, whether at the grocery store, wherever you are, nobody can tell you that you are not who you are. Mm. And I think for me, if I would have been able to to be encouraged to really see myself, yeah. I think I would have seen well before 30, the beauty that God created in me. I would just like to offer that. Look at yourself and really see the beauty so that nobody else can cover it up. Nobody else can tell you what it is or what it isn't. You already know. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that Dr. Lomax focused on the biblical character Jezebel in her book, because we were taught to believe that that's just a woman. She's a hussy. She's a skank. She's right. All this other stuff. But Jezebel actually commanded an army. Mm-hmm. She was in her power in the same way that Beyonce let Sasha Fierce go and is Beyonce in her power. I want to invite the listeners to be in their power. And that might require you to nourish your inner child, right? Go back to something that you used to do when you were little and make it a spiritual practice and have fun doing it. Or it might require you to unleash your baddie, right? Like go get you a red lip. You know, we love a Ruby Woo over here. Go get you a body con or something that makes you feel sexy and like a vixen. Um, because, because, All of that is good and all of that is holy. And you are holy just as you are. Mm -hmm. Yes, come on, episode. I love it. Being rats. We also love a boss lady from the lip bar, which was created by a black woman. Melissa Butler, yup. Boss lady, that's a red that will touch your soul. Okay, per. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Give it to the girls. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you all. Thank you for joining Sanctified today. And if there is anything you'd like to hear us talk about on Sanctified, you can always email us at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com. Okay, per. Thank you for sharing this space with us. Come on back next week and bring a sister friend with you. Or two. Or three. And as always, you are worthy. Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network production and operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. Editor is Ayana Angel. And associate producer is Rachel J. Pilgrim. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.